Hello and welcome to the RBC Ross Trevor Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community, to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Hello. Oh, I'll start again. <laughs> Hello, church. I remember the first time I rode in a tuk-tuk on a road in India. It was like nothing I had ever experienced before. There appeared to be virtually no road rules, no sense of order, and the direction of traffic appeared optional. The use of the traffic horn was less of an aggressive siren or a safety measure and more of a look out, I am coming through. Commuting through the streets felt chaotic and oddly exciting. Looking around, it felt like my entire understanding of how, the, how road travel works was completely flipped upside down. See, you and I, we live in an ever-changing, fast-moving, evolving world. Have you ever experienced the shock of your world feeling like it has been flipped upside down? Maybe something has happened in your world, a promotion at work, the loss of a loved one, a move to a new city, a falling out with a friend, and this has left your life, whether you like it or not, completely different. Today, as we read God's word for us, we are going to read some of Jesus' words that literally flipped the teacher of the law and the Pharisees' whole understanding of their world upside down and also transforms our lives and hearts today. Over the past few weeks, we have been journeying through our Lent series called I Have Come To, exploring the purposes of Jesus' mission on earth in his own words. Jesus said, I have come to bring the good news of the kingdom of God. I have come to save and bring salvation to all. And I have come to bring division even between families through love and commitment to him. Which brings us to our word from God today. I have come to fulfill. But before we jump into this, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, we thank you so much that your Holy Spirit is here and we've already felt it moving so strongly today. And Heavenly Father, I just pray now that as we dive into your word, as, as we unpack it and we reflect on it, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would reveal what it means to us, not just in our minds on a cognitive level, Lord, but in our hearts. Jesus, speak to us. Bring us your truth. Break us down and reconstruct us again, I pray, Lord. I pray that anything that is not from you will fall away, Lord, and I just pray for a, a really strong sense of your spirit and moving in our hearts today, I pray. Amen. So our passage for today can be found in the first part of Jesus' first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus has just shared, um, finished sharing the vision statement of God's kingdom, the Beatitudes. And then he goes on to say this to the crowd. Um, and it's here we arrive at Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 to 20. So will you read with me? Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, 
them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter into the kingdom of heaven." Before we unpack what Jesus means in this radical piece of teaching, we need to go through a few really key definitions. What does Jesus mean by the law and what does he mean by the prophets? Firstly, what is the law? Because Jesus is not talking about our Western understanding of the law today. Jesus isn't talking about the Australian constitution or the enforcing of road rules or seeking penalty for crimes. No, Jesus is talking about the Hebrew word for law here, which many of you would know is Torah. See, the Torah is God's teaching, instruction, or commandments to his people. The first 10, they're pretty famous, right? God reveals these first 10 commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai, and they're so significant that God actually asks Moses to write them out on stone. But there are also 603 other commandments that God gives his people, and these are found in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. See, God saved his people, the Israelites, out of slavery in Egypt, and then he gave them these instructions. The law outlined the way of living in right relationship with God in response to God's redeeming act of the Exodus. The law was the heart and the soul of the Jews' scripture. It's where they would go to find God's will and practical instructions on how to live a God-honoring life. The law outlined what God's people should do in all sorts of everyday situations, how they should relate to others, how they should treat others, what they should eat, what they should wear, how they should go about business transactions, etc., etc. The law was their guiding and ultimate authority, the lifeblood of their community. It was their whole way of life, of breathing, of relating. It was the lens in which they saw their world. The law was also a blessing to God's people. It guided them and protected them from harm. Has anyone here ever read Psalm 119, the longest psalm in all of the Bible? It is literally a psalm of thanksgiving to God for the law. The law also acknowledged that humans could and would not always follow the law properly. And it even actually explained what the high priest in the community would do, should do to repent of the people's inability to follow the law. In addition, the law helped the Israelites to live out God's character in their world, to reflect God's image and ensure that they were set apart from the nations around them. In Exodus um, chapter 19, verse 3 to 6, we read the following. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him to the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, my people, and what you are to tell my people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests 
and a holy nation. See, the law was what separated God's people from the world around them. If we think of the Ten Commandments, for example, God instructs his people not to lie because he himself is a trustworthy God. God instructs his people not to commit adultery because he himself is faithful. So with all this background and contextual knowledge about the law under our belts, let's continue by asking, what does Jesus mean by the prophets? Well, there's so much that I could share about the prophets in the Bible, but really simply, they were ordinary people and priests who were chosen by God to be messengers from God to his people and the surrounding nations. They would often bring messages of judgment and encourage the people to repent of their sins, often in inspiring and passionate ways. But the key point here is that the prophets um, in the Bible, Isaiah, Moses, Micah, etc., etc., and more in the Old Testament, they encouraged the Israelites to go back to faithfully following the law, often um, after worshipping other gods or living in sin. And secondly, they pointed towards the hope that the Messiah would bring complete judgment and salvation. So in our passage in Matthew 5, when Jesus makes the crazy claim, I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets, we start to grasp how truly shocking this claim is. Jesus is not only saying that he has the same authority as the Torah and the prophets, he is also claiming he is the very king and promise that they point to. Let me explain it this way. See, the law and the prophets, they anticipated the the arrival of a Messiah who would bring the kingdom of God. Jesus' life and ministry brings the kingdom of God and fulfills the law and prophets by bringing into being, into human being, what was anticipated. And this statement makes the Pharisees and the teachers of the law's blood boil. We have to keep in mind that the Pharisees They had been diligently studying and memorizing the Torah their whole lives. They were absolute experts in the law. Tim Keller refers to them as professional holy guys. So Jesus' claim that he has the authority of the law and is the living, breathing fulfillment of it literally flips their whole belief system upside down. It flips their whole way of life, their whole, their whole outlook upside down. And we go on to read that this claim infuriates and insults the teachers of the law so much that they actually go on to plot to kill Jesus. Scholars and Bible experts have long debated what the Hebrew word for fulfill, which is pleralo, means in this context. A biblical definition could be to complete, to bring into effect, to bring into realisation, or to finish. But to truly understand what Jesus is saying here, I think we need to first return back to some of the history of God's people. So in the passage I read out earlier in Exodus 19, God refers to the original covenant that God first promised to a man called Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. God reminds Moses on Mount Sinai of this exact promise what we refer to as the old covenant he made with the Israelites, that they would be a holy priesthood, a nation set apart for God's glory. But if we actually keep reading on in the Bible from Exodus 19, we read generations and generations of stories which outline how miserably God's people fail to follow the Torah. They stuff up a lot, 
There's conflict with other nations. Chuck in a few dodgy kings. And eventually, God's people end up suffering in exile in Babylon with their family members murdered, their land taken away from them, and their temple destroyed. And it is here, in this dark period of suffering and despair, where God makes a new, game-changing promise to his people, found in Jeremiah 31. We're going to read it together. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them by the hand out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant. Though I was like a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is, what the, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their, teach their neighbour to say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declare the, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. Here God is saying that he is going to fulfill and restore the old shattered covenant and replace and fulfill it with a new relationship, a new covenant. The law will no longer be written out in stone. It will be written on the people's hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. The fractured relationship between God and his people from the old covenant will be healed and restored. See, Jesus isn't going to wait for human priests to make sacrifices for the sins of the people like the Lord details. He himself will be the ultimate sacrifice, the firstborn lamb of God without blemish. What does Jesus say to his disciples the night before his death on the cross when he shares in a, pa- a Passover meal with them, when he takes the cup in his hands? We read this verse all the time when we celebrate communion. He says, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. See, the new covenant sees our sin forgiven and the law and the prophets fulfilled through the blood of Jesus. In verse 20 of our passage in Matthew 5 today, Jesus says this, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus knows that it is solely through the perfect righteousness of his death, life, death, and resurrection that one can live out God's will better than the Pharisees, a professional holy guy. He is essentially saying, it is impossible to enter the kingdom of God by your own obedience or your own striving. You need my righteousness. As Tim Keller articulates in his his sermon, The Grace of the Law, he says this, Jesus is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, I came to fulfill. I came to be the person that you should be so that you could receive my perfect righteousness as a gift. The Lord doesn't just show you your sin. It shows you your saviour. Edmund Clowney, in his book, um, How Jesus Fulfills the Ten Commandments, he says this, When Jesus comes, the law takes on a different meaning and function. Jesus fulfilled the law not simply by obeying it, but transforming it. 
And through Jesus' great act of forgiveness on the cross, God's people will no longer follow the law out of compulsion or fear or legalism or because it is the governing authority. No, they will follow the law because of a supernatural transformation, renovation of their hearts. Natural obedience out of love rather than compulsion or ritual. See, Jesus calls his disciples to continue to fulfill the the Torah by allowing Jesus to transform their hearts. And I actually think that there's a reason that Jesus begins his Sermon on the Mount with this outrageous claim that he fulfills the law. Because it is actually through this understanding that we understand the whole rest of his sermon. Um, And if you ever get the the chance to read through Matthew chapter 5 to 7, and I really strongly encourage you to do this this week, Jesus outlines various commands from the law, and then he actually goes on to expose how the command or the action is underpinned by the attitude of one's heart. For example, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, he says, For you have heard that it is said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's the heart attitude. So we, as followers of Jesus, we no longer follow the commands of the Torah or Jesus' commands from the Sermon on the Mount out of an old covenant ritual. No, we now follow them as an outflow of our expression of our love for Jesus, as the lived application of the fulfilled law and transformed hearts. So if this is the case, if Jesus has fulfilled the law and transformed the law, brought the new covenant, and this transforms our hearts, does this mean that the law and the prophets in the Bible aren't actually relevant to us today? Does that mean maybe we can gloss over or maybe rip out the first half of our Bible, maybe solely focus on the New Testament passages, maybe I can even skip Old Testament at Bible college? Well, let's return to Jesus' words from Matthew 5 again, expressed through the the message version. Jesus says this, Don't suppose for a minute that I have come to demolish the scriptures, either God's law or the prophets. I am not here to demolish but to complete. I'm going to put it all together. Trivialise even the smallest item in God's law and you will only have trivialised yourself. But take it seriously. Show the way for others and you will find honour in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is pretty clear here that he has not come to control, alt, delete the law. Rather, Jesus speaks of the importance of the law and the respect and the reverence that it deserves. And whilst the role of the law is now different to what it was through the fulfilment and completion that Jesus' blood brings, here's the thing, the law still has a purpose for us today. It still has a purpose for us today. We should spend time reading it, reflecting on it, absorbing it, studying it and living it out. See, you and I, we have so much to learn from the words and stories of the Torah and the prophets. There is so much to reflect on about God, his character and his relationship with his people. Because here's the thing, the law actually paints a picture for us of the kingdom of God. A world where there is peace, a world where there is no slander, lust, murder, unfaithfulness. It instead provides us a picture of God's sovereign and shalomatic character and will. 
As Jesus says in verse 18 of chapter 5, the Torah remains a statement of God's will for us until everything is accomplished, until Jesus returns to earth for the second time. A little illustration to drive this point home. Uh, So when I was in high school, I played the French horn. Anyone here know what the French horn is? It's like a little brass instrument like the tuba. And I mean, I I don't mean to brag or anything, but that's actually a photo of me at the uh, 2013 uh, South Australian Music Camp um, where I played third horn. Yeah. Um, And if you look closely at that picture, you might even see my husband somewhere in there holding a saxophone. Um, You know, some guys, they might buy flowers or chocolates to, you know, flirt with a girl and get out of the friend zone. But no, my husband signs up to state band camp. So anyway, (laughs) well, when I was first starting out, my horn teacher would make me practice and practice my scales with the aim of improving my pitch, my range, my embouchure and my finger dexterity on the keys. But I used to absolutely hate hate playing scales. In fact, I would avoid and procrastinate playing them. And then at the start of every lesson, uh, my horn teacher, whose communication style could be described as blunt, uh, used to yell at me for my lack of diligence and practice. But as the years went on and my skills improved, do you think I exclusively played C or D major scales over and over in orchestra or in stage band? No, of course not. I would occasionally play scales at the start to warm up, but the role and purpose of my scales changed. See, all those hours and hours of scale practice were fulfilled by enabling me to play the horn solo in Rhapsody in Blue or Bach's concertos and perform in beautiful concert halls and ensembles. See, the scales in this analogy is the law. The blood of Jesus may have... have, may have transformed the role of the law for us today, but it doesn't mean that we aren't to study it, learn from it, meditate on it, and live it out. Tim Mackey, in his podcast, Jesus and the Torah, he says this, the 613 commands in the Torah were God's will for for the Israelites, and they were good for that time and place, and they're still good today, but they have now been fulfilled through Jesus. And now... We are going to play the music of the law with our lives. We are the Jeremiah 31 people. So as we approach Easter next week, I wonder, are you struggling with your own failure to live out God's commands? Has your own striving for righteousness maybe left you feeling empty or unfulfilled? I wonder today, do you just need to simply rest in the righteousness that Jesus' blood brings? Are you perhaps still living in the confines of the old covenant, like the Pharisees? Maybe trying to work towards your own righteousness through following rules, ticking boxes, serving in the ministry teams to keep up your masks and appearances. But perhaps if you cut deeper, your intentions behind your actions are more legalistic than loving. I wonder, do you need Jesus to transform your heart? In this moment, do you need to ask Jesus to write the law out on your heart, to renovate and renew your heart? 
Do you need to ask Jesus, help me to follow your commands, not out of compulsion, but out of a transformed heart in love with you? Does anyone know what today is on the Lent calendar? Palm Sunday. The day which celebrates Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. See, in Jesus' time and culture in the ancient Near East, the palm branch was actually considered a symbol of victory, triumph and peace. So as the crowds lined the streets with palms, they were sharing Jesus with the utmost worship, honour, reverence and praise. A welcome truly fit for a king. Which is a stark contrast to the days following when the same crowds would line the streets to watch Jesus struggle to carry his cross up to Golgotha. As Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey five days before he went to the cross, I doubt the Pharisees, the crowds, or even his disciples realised the significance of what he was about to do. He was on his way to obey and complete all that the Torah and the prophets had been pointing to for hundreds of years to bring the kingdom of God. And as Jesus rode on his donkey, we, the Jeremiah 31 people, freed in the new covenant with transformed hearts are to jump on our own donkeys and travel out to our own Jerusalems, our schools, our workplaces, our homes, our unis to bring the kingdom of God and the good news of Jesus to them. And we are to keep doing this until Jesus returns to earth a second time, until the earth fades and the stars burn out and Jesus fulfills the law and prophets forevermore. And this sounds a lot like RBC's third value, everyone living out God's mission. See, we all have a donkey to jump on, cities to reach with the good news of Jesus and a part to play in renewing God's world. The other day I went out to dinner with a friend from work who would probably describe herself as an agnostic. The conversation took a deeper turn And she shared the following with me about a recent uh, relationship breakdown. She said, Esther, I just feel like something from my life is missing. Like a piece of the puzzle is missing, but I don't know what the piece is. I just keep searching and searching and I end up feeling empty. Well, it took every ounce of self-control within me to not scream in her face, Jesus, it's Jesus. Perhaps I should have. But I did say a silent prayer in my head that the Holy Spirit would give me the right time and the right words to share the gospel in grace with her. And praise God, I was able to share my faith later in the conversation. But my work friend is someone who needs the righteousness and fulfilment of Jesus in her life. She needs Jesus to renovate and transform her heart. Indeed, we all, each one of us, need Jesus to transform our hearts. We all need the perfect righteousness of the blood of Jesus. I wonder who is your work friend in your world? Someone in your life who is searching for fulfilment in striving and rituals. Maybe it's your neighbour, your brother, your classmate, your hairdresser. I wonder if you could be bold enough to invite this work friend to our Easter services next weekend, whether that's in person or online. 
or invite them to Alpha later on in the year or to your life group or to read the Bible at a cafe with you or to pray with you in the work storeroom. Maybe you're here today and if you're honest with yourself, you yourself are the work friend. Maybe you could dare, dare to pray for the first time. Jesus, thank you that your blood fulfills the old covenant of my life. Jesus, please transform my heart. Because here's the thing, the news we have to share, that Jesus loves them enough to ride to the cross on a donkey, pour out his blood for our brokenness and rise from the dead to fulfill and transform the law and the prophets forever. That is news that literally flips the whole world upside down and it is news that is just too indescribable to keep to ourselves this Easter. Amen? And this world-changing news should make us want to lie down palm branches at the feet of Jesus and lift up our hands high in worship, declaring, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And in a moment, we're going to respond to this news in worship. But for now, will you join me as I pray? Will you stand with me, actually? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for coming to earth, dying on the cross to forgive our wickedness and remember our sins no more. And we thank you that we stand here as Jeremiah 31 people, free in your new covenant through your blood, Jesus. We thank you that you came to fulfill all that the Torah and the prophets had been pointing to for hundreds of years. And we thank you that we don't actually have to rely on our own righteousness and our own striving, but we can rest in your perfect righteousness, Jesus. We thank you for giving us your word, your law, which paints a picture of your kingdom, Father. And I pray that we would be followers of you that follow your commands, not out of ritual or compulsion, but out of hearts in love with you, devoted to you. Help us to continue to live out your mission in this world, to be bold, I pray. And Lord, we pray for the work friends in our lives. We lift them up now, Jesus. We pray that they would meet their saviour, that they would meet the blood of Jesus and that you would fulfil fulfill them and fulfil their hearts. And we pray for our Easter services next week, Lord. We pray that many, many, many people, many hearts would be transformed by your good news, Jesus. We pray for those that we have and that we will invite and I pray that your Holy Spirit stirs in them and that you would reveal yourself to them. Lord, we pray all these things in your precious name. We praise you for your perfect, perfect blood spilled out for us, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through the hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.